Good day, dear listeners. Steve Pineda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is David Subar, the founder of Interna, which enables technology companies to ship better products, plan and execute successful product roadmaps, and achieve product market fit more rapidly and deploy capital more efficiently. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yes, great to have you here. And I'm very curious to get into your story and your blueprint and all that stuff. So let's start with the beginning where we always do your entrepreneurial journey. So how did uh, the idea come about for Interna and what was the road that led you to it? I had been chief technology officer and chief product officer of a number of different technology startups. And I'd done that for quite a while. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot of things that you shouldn't do. I learned a lot of things that you should do. Some of the lessons were hard learned. And I realized after a while, what I started out doing was I wanted to take technology and build something that people recognize. That's where I started my career. I started my career doing research and development in AI and machine learning. But over the years, as I started managing bigger and bigger teams, I realized what I was really good at. It was really more, more important for me anyway, for companies, was building teams that could build great product. And it's building, writing software is very different than building teams. And they're both important skills, but they're different. And so what I realized was many companies, particularly in, I was I working technology companies, don't know how to build teams that can build great products which means that they spend a lot of money and it takes a long time and they release something that's the wrong thing and they use capital inefficiently, which means they don't get to have the impact they want to have and they don't get to be successful companies. And so that was what, what started driving me is like, how do we build teams that build products that really have an impact, have companies have an impact, have companies be successful? Mm-hmm. Now, David, your approach, is it tailored specifically for tech teams or it's for any team? It's for any team, but tech teams have some particular advantages, and particularly software teams. But it starts with, you've got to understand who your customer is. Who do you serve? What do they want? What creates value for them? Creating profit and revenue is a side effect of creating value for your customer. If you don't understand who your customer is, they're not going to likely want to buy your product or service, and therefore you won't make revenue and you won't be profitable. That's where it all starts. That's true for any kind of company. Okay. The next thing, yeah. Go ahead. You do yeah, the question. So, so this is basically the first step of your blueprint. So this on this podcast, you always try to isolate framework, a business blueprint that people can relate to, can uh, capture, and then try to apply in their businesses. So the step, so I we call this blueprint, the deliver better product faster blueprint. And yes. describe step one, deliver customer value. If you don't deliver the value, there's no revenue, there's no profit, the business is not sustainable. That, that's clear. So what is step two in your framework? Step two is, so you know who you're going to serve. Do you believe you know what they want? you got to put stuff on the roadmap. And everything on the roadmap is a bet. You're not going to get it exactly right. You get a certain number of bets because you have a certain amount. You don't have unlimited capital. You have a certain number of bets. So you're going to put things on the roadmap. Everything on the roadmap 
is going to have an epic statement. An epic statement looks like, we believe by doing this feature for this user, they will receive this kind of value. And we'll know that when we see this metric. Mm -hmm. So let me stop you right there. So you see that every step is a bet, essentially. Is this feature going to work? Is it not going to work? Is this going to be useful for customers or not? And then what would be the vision for that if it really worked? What is the impact of it? Oh, it it's the epic exactly. statement for the customer. That's and then, exactly. so before you move on, how do you decide which bets to, to go after? That's a great question. There are a million bets you can make, a million ways you can achieve value from the customer. You filter those bets from which of those are aligned to your company strategy. You can do a bunch of things for customers, but you want to do things that also benefit your company. Hey, our, we want to increase market penetration. We're going to pick those bets that increase market penetration. We want to decrease churn. We're going to pick those bets that decrease churn. Look at those bets, compare them to your company strategy and filter by those and say, okay, here's the ones that create benefit for the customer and they also create benefit for us. Now, of those bets, so now we've filtered, some of those bets are going to be more or less expensive. Going to take more time, less time. Pick the ones you can learn quickly from. Pick the ones that take smaller amount of time to build and release so you can see if you're actually having forward progress with the market or for your business. So those are the two steps of filtering. Which of them align to your strategy and which of them cost less capital, take less time to get on the market so you can learn quickly. This is all about learning quickly. Mm -hmm. We're making bets. Some are going to be right, some are going to be wrong. How do we learn as efficiently as possible about whether we're progressing for the customer and for us? What about the third dimension, which could be the impact on the customer? Because uh, you can have multiple bets that are in line with your strategy. Uh, and then you can learn, maybe some of them you can learn quickly. What about the dimension of the impact on the customer? Because I'd rather you learn something a little bit slowly and create more impact than learn it quickly, have minimal uh, impact. Well, so, you take it into account as well? Yes, that's part of the epic statement is, we believe by doing this feature by this customer, they will receive this benefit. So you have to understand the benefit they're achieving, and then you have to be able to measure it to see if they've really achieved it. If you don't have that fundamental thing of, we're achieving this value for the customer, don't start. You're not going to have a sustainable business. It's got to start. It's rooted in, we're creating value for someone else. And then when we do that, those, that value creation also create value for us. But it's got to be, it's got to start by creating value for customers. Okay. So we deliver customer value. We, we make some bets. We rate them. Uh, do they, are they easy to learn? Do they have an impact? We describe the, epic, the impact as an epic statement of the, the vision of the impact. Then what's next? What is the next step? I guess that's going to be step three in your sequence. Right. So, well, I kind of mix step two with step three, which is, which of these bets align with the, the, where the business strategy for the business is going? If you're running product management engineering, you're probably not the CEO. A lot of times product management engineering groups become feature factories. Some salesperson would say, we need this feature because I have to close this deal. Or marketing says, we need this feature because I want to market it. Those are things that are aligned to individual departments. And a feature factory is one that just 
takes orders and does what's told. What you want is have an empowered product management engineering team. So if you're not the CEO, that alignment to where are we trying to drive the customer, which of these bets do we pick, really are about alignment with the CEO because the CEO is trying to increase the market value of the company over a long period of time. And doing that, driving to that North Star gets alignment with the CEO. If you are a CEO, then congratulations, you're aligned with yourself by definition. But so that, what you need is, to have a strategy. So aligning with the CEO is the same as aligning with the company's mission or vision? Is the same thing or it's, it's separate? I would say it's aligning with the company's strategy. It's, at least in theory, the CEO has built a strategy to fulfill the mission and vision of the company. And so all of the things on the roadmap need to fulfill that strategy. If you're doing something that doesn't fulfill that strategy, it's a hobby. That's lovely. I have hobbies. I really know and pays you for them. So it's the alignment with the CEO is alignment to the CEO's strategy, which drives the company forward, which gets you to mission vision. So step one was to make sure we deliver customer value. Step two is filter our bets. Uh, and we said that we want to pick the bets that are aligned with our strategy and that uh, are easy to learn and generate impact. Now, when we are aligning the bets with the strategy, isn't that the same as aligning with the CEO or there are two levels of alignment? No, that's the same. Actually, I would say first step is know who your customer is. Second step is pick bets that you're going to make. Third, third step is align those bets to the CEO, which is the same as a strategy in a company. Okay. All right. We align it to the CEO. And then what ne what's next? So you, you have your customers, you came up with the, the bets, the directions that you want to develop that software yeah. product, perhaps. Uh, it's fully aligned with the strategy of the company that the CEO represents. What, what's now you're going to build it. You're going to build it. So... You made a bunch of, you said, here's the bets we're going to make. Now you got to build it. And you got to be efficient as quickly as you can at building it. Because every company is limited capital. So the, the question is, how quickly can we get this thing in the market and see if we made a bet, if our bets are right or wrong? You should expect some of your bets are going to be wrong. That's okay. But you want to learn quickly. Okay. If all your bets are right, you're not stretching far enough. You're not trying far enough, hard enough. I worked with American Express years ago. I was at an AI tools firm. And we were building something called Authorizer's Assistant. Authorizer's Assistant was an intelligent system to make credit decisions every time you used an American Express card. American Express advertises we have no preset credit limit. It doesn't mean they don't have a credit limit. It just changes every time you make a, try to make a credit card. If you're doing well, you have a higher credit limit. If you're not doing well, you have a lower one. So I said to our sponsor, American Express, oh, so you want us to make no bad authorizations. Every authorization should be good. He said, no, that's a terrible idea. I'm like, why is that a terrible idea? He said, because I can get no bad authorizations very easily by having zero authorization. And people are going to use MasterCard and Visa. I want to make the right number of bad authorizations so I can learn. It's the same when you're doing product. Some of them should be wrong, but you should learn quick when you go, oh, we thought the customer was going to like this. We thought this was going to be profitable. It's not. What did we learn from that? And how are we going to change our roadmap? How are we going to change our bets based on that? It's all about a very active feedback loop. 
So the quicker you can release in the market, the quicker you can learn, the better you can tune the product roadmap, the company to creating value for customers, the better you can tune the company to fulfilling its strategy. Okay, that's awesome. So build it, make some mistakes. That is optimal number of mistakes to make so you can learn and you're basically swinging for the fences. You're not playing it too conservative. And then you measure against your objectives. So what about the objectives? Are they tangible upfront? So upfront, they talked about aligning with the CEO's vision, but is this more of a broad stroke alignment or is this a very granular where you actually have measurable objectives alignments? How, how does these two alignments come together? It's about being granular and measurable. Everything, that's where the epic statement starts. We believe by doing this feature for this user, we will see this metric move, but we will create this value. We'll know if we see this metric move. Everything you're doing has a measurable value you're creating. And then also for the strategy, here's the strategy. We want it to, once again, this, this example, we want to decrease churn. Did churn decrease? Yes or no? Oh, churn, churn, churn decreased more than we thought. Oh, that's interesting. What did we learn from that? Churn didn't decrease, it increased. Oh, that's interesting. What did we learn from that? It's about... Everything needs to be instrumented. So the objectives you think you're going to meet, you need to know whether you actually met them or not. And then after you measure it, you need to ask that question. Oh, here's what happened that was different than what we expected, either more or less positive. What did we learn? And then we start the process again. Do we actually have the right customer? Do we have the right stuff on the roadmap? Are our measurements right? Are we aligning with strategy? Can we build faster? And so you just start the whole process again, you iterate. Now I said before, software, it's easier with software. Why is it easier with software? Software, my time to market is very, very small, particularly for consumer software. I can release a new version of the app. B2C software, it's a little bit harder. If I have salespeople that go out, maybe I'm selling to insurance companies and they have a long time to to implement things or large B2B enterprises, when you're producing hardware, it's harder still. Mm -hmm. So you need to modify these techniques for whether you're doing consumer packaged good, I'm building, I'm writing, making soap, whether you're building a piece of technology hardware, you're doing software because your velocity of learning is different. Yes. So in, in a consumer market, you can experiment easier because there are bigger numbers. Uh, statistically, the more significant tests, I guess, you can A-B test much easier there. When you're in the enterprise market, you have to be not upset your enterprise customers and maybe it's a huge, smaller number and you have to thread more carefully. Is this why the difference or there are other dimensions? It's that, but it's also just the consumption of new releases for B2B tends to be slower from B2C. I 25 new apps on my phone today. I woke up, looked at them quickly, just said, okay, great, accept them all. Those were 25 bets that different companies were making with me. My new iPhone that I'm waiting for the iPhone 15 to come out, I'm one who, you may not expect this, but I'm one who keeps technology for a long time. So I have an iPhone 10. I have an Apple Watch, I have the new Apple Watch, but I have a really old iPhone. So the, the velocity of me consuming new hardware is much slower than software. Now, the good news is, my wife has an iPhone 14. Uh, other people have iPhone 14s and 30. So Apple, in the aggregate, can learn. Not to, I'm, not the, I'm not the only slow consumer, but there's a lot of people who are consuming the hardware. But that's a once-a-year release. 
Software can be multiple times a day. And so the ability to learn is slower. You've got to be more thoughtful about your bets <laughs> when you're doing slow release cycle products than when you're doing quick release cycle products. Okay, that makes sense. Now, you described this process as, as kind of a lean startup approach. So tell me about this lean startup. So is this just for software and technology companies? Or is it also for professional service businesses, uh, maybe traditional service businesses who, who deliver maybe retail service, food service, household service businesses as well, or just for software businesses and why? Yeah, it's for everyone. It's just easier for software businesses. But let me talk, let me talk about how you do it if you're not a software business. Let's say you have an online service. Let's say you have a house cleaning service. Mm -hmm. And let's say... You have a large house cleaning service and you have a thousand people that go to houses across the nation and clean their houses. It takes a while to train a thousand people for them to learn whatever new technique it is. An easier way to build this kind of model is go on the website and put up a service that you don't yet offer and say, let's say I'm just completely making this up. Pool cleaning. We do pool cleaning now too. We do house cleaning and pool cleaning. Pool cleaning people had put a button is learn about our new pool cleaning service. Test how many people actually click on it. That is a cheap way to understand demand for the service. And then say, coming soon, sign up here for our new pool cleaning service. It's going to come out in three months. Making that up, obviously. So there's ways of testing cons consumer demand or customer demand without launching the whole service in a much less expensive way. Now, you need to do a way that, that is not deceitful to your potential customers, right? But there's ways of measuring demand. And then you can go like, oh, people actually want the pool cleaning service. I'm going to do it in Brooklyn, New York only. I don't know if there's pools in Brooklyn, New York. Probably there are. I'll, I'll make it easier. I'm going to do it in Costa Mesa, California. There's pools in Costa Mesa, California. Okay. I'm not going to start it nationwide. I'm going to start it in a small... And I'm going to test the service, and then I'm going to expand it. The key is, once again, small, quick releases that don't cost much where you can learn quickly. And then you could iterate in the service, and you can expand the geography. Okay. So it's basically a running sprints. So let's say I have a pool cleaning service, and I create a process, maybe a 15-step process, how I prepare and then how I clean, empty the water from the pool and then the detergents I'm using and the equipment I'm using and the process how I'm going to go through and then refill the pool. Let's say that's the process. And then I test how successful the process is and then iterate and maybe tweak the process. Is this how it would apply to a traditional service? Exactly. Business? Exactly. But it's not just iterating and tweaking the process to make the process better, but making sure the customer receives value and the company was able to achieve its objectives. It's just not the technical components of the process. Like, I can tell you a lot about how software is built. I came from the software side of the world. I can talk to you about algorithms and efficiency. I can talk to you about some large language models. are going, you know what? Most people don't care. That's technical stuff that nerds like me are really interested in. What people care is when I get on Google Maps, do I get efficient directions to where I want to go. That's what people care about. So those processes, I want to test them so I know that I'm efficient as a company doing what I want to do. But the ultimate measure 
is whether I'm creating customer value and whether it's pushing the company forward. And that's what you fundamentally have to measure. So how do I create a practical test environment where I'm only delivering a limited number of uh, the service and limited number of, of, uh, of customers? So I say if I'm a pool cleaner, maybe I'm starting a company, I'm trying to figure out what would be the optimal process or maybe innovate on the existing processes that are out there. Let's say I figure things out, it's a 15-step process, I have one crew, uh, they can deliver that maybe to three or four houses maximum a day. So how can I get data that is reliable? Uh, is this applicable to a small business service or you have to have a certain number of, a certain population of users to use it in order to have a statistically significant data uh, so that you can actually use it to, uh, to run your next sprint in your business? Right. So statistical significance is a, is a really good question. It's um, having larger numbers to test against, you're going to get a better result. If you're a small pool cleaning company with a few customers a day, it's better than not having data, but it's, it could be suspect. This is another reason, like I came from the software industry. It's easier in the software industry because you can do A-B tests on here's the old method, here's the new method. We're doing it at scale. We're seeing things trend. But even in startup software businesses, by definition, have few clients. And so you do your best you can with the data you have. And that's why iterating quickly becomes very, very important. Hey, I'm a software business. I only have 100 clients in the beginning. They seem to say this. Okay, let's double down and try more of that. Is that working? Oh, now we have 1,000 clients. You know what? That was 30% right, 70% wrong. Great. But it's about being quick at doing the releases and learning quickly. It's all about learning quickly. The lean startup model came very much from the software industry. And we work, internal works in the technology industry. The techniques I'm talking about are applicable other places. We work with lynda.com, we worked with Disney, work with lots of companies. But it's easier when you have large numbers. And, but in any case, it's required to release quickly, learn quickly, think about what happened and do it again. I'm just thinking, trying to relate it to my coaching business. I started, uh, I don't know, six, seven years ago, and I didn't have large numbers to test things on, but I did perceive sometimes a better reaction or a less good reaction. And of course, it depends on the client as well. But even with a few repetitions, I kind of get a feel for what is a better way. And then I did more of that and did less of the other. And kind of it, it helped me. That's right. And along the way, even without a scientifically proven testing methodology and statistical number. So that's a great blueprint. So you know, make sure you deliver customer value. You formulate uh, an epic statement of uh, your bets that you have chosen and make sure it's aligned with the CEO's vision, build it, and then measure it back to the objectives. So David, if our listeners would like to learn more about your process or would like to contact you, talk to you, or explore about internal, where should they go? So our website is www.interna.com. So it's I-N-T-E-R-N-A.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. So Interna, by the way, is like internal without the L. My name is David Subar. It's like Subaru without the U, S-U-B-A-R. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can hit me up there. You can hit us up on our website. You can find us there. Feel free to reach out. Someone just wants to spend a few minutes talking about these things. I'm glad to chat with anybody anytime. Awesome. Well, David, thanks for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it and uh, have a great day. Thank you, Steve. Glad to be on.